1984, pastors Jean and Sue started Faith Christian Center in a hotel ballroom. But for the past 36 years, they have taught people how to practically apply the Bible to their everyday lives. Over the years, God has blessed us and the church has grown. Faith Christian Center is now located on a beautiful 73-acre campus in the heart of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. We believe the best is yet to come. Today's message will encourage you, inspire you, and teach you how to experience God's best in every area of your life. This is my Bible. It is the Word of God and the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am. I'm seated right now in the heavenly realms, in the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine. And I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. The day my mind is alert, my spirit is receptive. As I am taught the Word of God, my life is changed for the better, and I will never be the same again. Amen. You may be seated. I want to thank you for not just being on time, but being early. I want to thank you for inviting and bringing people. Amen. I want to thank you for being faithful and consistent and being in church. The Bible says that when we're rooted and planted in God's house, we flourish and we prosper. Our current Sunday morning series is four things we must confess. And we've been learning that the first thing we must confess is who we are in Christ. Now, when we deal with topics like faith or prayer or confession or healing or prosperity, whatever it is, don't tune us out. Don't say, I've heard all that. We're walking in greater revelation and greater understanding every single year. The Bible also tells us that it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. And so occasionally, all of us need to work on the basics. Amen? Occasionally, we all need a refresher on some of the basics. And our confession is so important. And our confession, it's one of those little foxes, but it, our tongue and what we're saying, it dramatically affects the course of our lives. Just go to James and read what James says about the tongue and how it, it's a small part of the body, but like the rudder on a ship, it has a dramatic impact on the course of someone's life. Our opening scripture has been Luke 8 and verse 11, where Jesus, in giving the meaning of the parable of the sower, said the seed is the word of God. And so Jesus, the farmer, he sows the seed. The seed is the word of God. And there are all types of soil. There's a soil along the path. There's the rocky soil. There's the thorny soil. There's the good soil. And the difference with the good soil is the good soil, the man or woman who is the good soil, they hear the word, they, they produce, they take action upon the word, and they produce a harvest. And so in all of our lives, we need to be that good soil. Amen? But the seed in the parable, the seed is the word of God. Jesus said, Luke 8, 11, the seed is the word of God. And as we've learned, we're to sow the good seed of the word of God into our lives. And one way we do that, it's not the only way, but one way we do that is with our confession. As we've learned, the seed knows its business. 
And from the moment it is planted, the seed goes to work. We don't have to understand how it works. We just have to know that it works and then take action. So God has given us his word. It is a seed for what we need in any area of life. And with the seed of God's word, you can force the soil of your life to produce. You can force the soil of your life to produce with your confession of the word of God. And so in your life, whatever the challenges are, whatever you're believing God for or about, with the word of God, you can put positive pressure on your circumstances. You know, sometimes we talk about peer pressure, but that's always in the negative sense, to do the wrong things, to go where you shouldn't go, to hang out with who you shouldn't hang out. That's negative peer pressure. Well, I believe in positive pressure, amen? And uh, sometimes people don't like positive pressure. You know, the testimony, taking action. And so I think sometimes people come to Faith Christian Center, and whether it's a Sunday or, or a Wednesday night, they feel some pressure, pressure to take action, pressure to make some changes, pressure to be a doer of the Word of God, but positive pressure will change your life for the better. And by speaking and confessing the Word of God in your life and circumstances, you can put positive pressure on your circumstances to change for the better. You can force the circumstances of your life to change with the Word of God. I've given you Proverbs 18 and verse 21, which says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So in your life, you're the farmer. You determine the words you say, you determine the words you speak, and you're currently living in the harvest of what you have been saying and confessing and what you've been doing. So if you want a different harvest, you're going to have to change what you're saying, what you're confessing, and the action you're taking. According to the Word of God, you and I are everything the Word of God says we are, regardless of whether or not we are presently experiencing God's Word in every area of life. So to live a victorious Christian life, you must know and confess who you are in Christ. Say, who I am in Christ Jesus. And this is so basic. This is so elementary. This is so fundamental. But sometimes we don't know. And sometimes we, we forget. And then sometimes we look up and we're not walking in the level of victory that we should be. And the reality is, it's the little foxes spoiling the vine. And so we have to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. And say it, and believe it, and act accordingly. So the first thing we must confess is who we are in Christ. And as we've learned, who are we in Christ? Well, first, we're, we're new creations in Christ Jesus. Say, I am, I am. a new creation, new creation in Christ Jesus. Christ. Now, now, people that knew you in the past, they may remember the old you. But you are, if you have repented of your sins, if you have asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, if you're living for him, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen? So it might be time to delete some of that older Facebook stuff. Amen. And Satan might remind you. Other people might remind you. But regardless of how you feel, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Who are we in Christ Jesus? We've learned. We are complete in Jesus. Say, I am complete, I am complete. In, Jesus. in Jesus. Say, I am whole. I am whole. Say, I am, I am complete. Say, I lack nothing. So that, that's who we are in Christ Jesus, amen. And we, we have him. He lives on the inside of us. 
And when we have him, we have everything we need. Who are we in Christ Jesus? We've learned that we are qualified to inherit the kingdom. Say, I am qualified to inherit the kingdom. And that is every blessing and every benefit that Jesus paid the price for. It belongs to us. It belongs to you and me. Who are we in Christ Jesus? We have learned that we have been redeemed from the curse of the law. Say, I have been redeemed from the curse of the law. Who are we in Christ? We've learned that we are heirs of Abraham. Say, I am an heir of Abraham. Say, Abraham is the father of my faith. We've learned that we're blessed as we hearken and obey, not just as we hear. And hearken is more than just hearing. It's hearing and implementing. It's hearing and taking action. So we've learned that we are blessed as we hearken and obey. Say, I am blessed as I hearken and obey. Who are we in Christ? We've learned we are the sons of God. We are the children of God. Men say, I am a son of God. Ladies say, I am a daughter of God. Everyone say, I am a child of God. That is who we are in Christ Jesus. We're not outsiders looking in. And under the old covenant, the people of God were referred to as servants. But under the new covenant, that's, that's not who we are in Christ. Under the, the new covenant, we're not slaves. We're not servants. We're not outsiders looking in. We are the sons and daughters of God with the full rights, the full benefits, and the full privileges thereof. And you might say, oh, Austin, I don't feel like that. I'm not sure if I really believe that. It sounds too good to be true. Well, that's why we've got to do what Paul said. We've got to open up the Bible and renew our minds to who we are in Christ and remind ourselves that we are the children of God. Amen? And the last point under who we are in Christ, and this is important, so we're going to spend some time on it this morning, is that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 11. Now I believe everything is important, but some things are really important. And this is one of those really important things we have to understand and master and renew our minds to, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 11, we have much to say about this. About what? Well, he's dealing with the high priesthood of Jesus under the new covenant and everything that that means. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that leads to death, of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. 
and God permitting, we'll do so. Now, if you've done our new members course, Laying a Firm Foundation, or if you're, you're new and you've just started, or you're, you're going to do it after hearing me mention it, this verse here in Hebrews 6, 1 through 3, that is the basis for the, one of the first courses of study that my father wrote, Laying a Firm Foundation, which covers the basics of what we believe and the basics of the Christian life and these elementary truths that every, every believer is to know and to master so they can teach others and lead others and go on to maturity in Christ. Hebrews 5, verse 13, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Now, now none of us wants to picture ourselves as being a baby. And who's a baby? Well, someone that wears a diaper. Who's a baby? Somebody that, you know, they, they, they need their diaper changed. Who's a baby? Somebody that needs to be burped in the middle of the night, during the day, 10, 20, and 30 times a day. Who's a baby? Somebody that's always got an emergency. Who, who's a baby? Somebody that's not growing up and making... Now, none of us wants to picture ourselves that way. In a diaper, with a pacifier, and needing a diaper change. None of us wants to picture ourselves that way. But that's the illustration the author of Hebrews, likely Paul, is using. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about what topic? Righteousness. And this is basic and fundamental to understanding who we are in Christ, what belongs to us in Christ, walking in what belongs to us in Christ, and living the life of victory our Heavenly Father wants us to live. In Christ, we're to grow up. We're to mature. We're not to always be that baby in the nursery that needs a diaper change, that needs to be burped, that needs to be swaddled, that needs to be rocked, and, and rocked super fast. Every parent that's had a, a young baby in the last 10 years knows what I'm talking about. That point of desperation in the middle of the night where mom has stopped walking in love and dad has stopped walking in love, and, and I'll admit to it, honey, Put that child in the swing, crank it up to full speed, turn the music up, and believe God for a miracle. Now, you might say you would never admit to it. Now that we're on our fifth child, I, I, I have been fully humbled, and I know I'm not perfect. Amen. The only perfection going on is Jesus Christ. And this is the illustration the Apostle Paul is using. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. So we're to grow up, we're to mature, we're to make progress, we're to come to the place in Christ where we can, we can teach and train and be used of God to disciple others. But how can we do that if we're not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness? What kind of believer, from what we see here in Hebrews, what kind of believer cannot distinguish between good, cannot distinguish good from evil? It's a believer not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. We, we live in days that are evil and wicked. And every day it seems like there's some new evil, wicked thing. And yet there, there's great confusion in the body of Christ in America about what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's evil. Well, well this is the very heart of people not growing up and maturing in Christ. Who are they? They are infants. 
and they cannot distinguish good from evil. And who are they? They, They've not been acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Why do so many believers never master the basics of the Christian life? Well, they're not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Who is the believer who is always an infant, no matter how many years they go to church, no matter how many churches they might go to over the years? It's a believer not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Who is the believer that never seems to make any progress? It's a believer not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Why do so many believers fail to live a blessed and a victorious life? They don't actually live as if they are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, this is important. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But if you want to live a life of victory, if you want to live a life that God can bless, if you want to live a life that is lined up and consistent with the Word of God, you must know you're the righteousness of God in Christ, and you must live as if you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You got to talk it, you got to believe it, you got to act like it, you got to live like it. It's got to be a total package deal. We're, we're faith people. The word faith is on the building. But sometimes people in the faith camp, they'll ask my father, they'll say, you're different. And you teach faith in a way that is very different. And what they're, they're trying to understand is that, yes, we believe in faith and believe in God, but it's not faith at the exclusion of everything else. We believe in faith. We also believe in character. We believe in faith, but we also believe in taking action. And that's why we teach faith is taking action on the Word of God. I'll give you an example, and it goes along with the testimony we heard this morning. Once I was at a believers meeting, and a speaker was talking about believe, everyone believe in God that they'll be a billionaire. Well, well, that's ridiculous, because if somebody can't believe God to write a check for $1,000, how are they going to believe God to be a billionaire? See, that's just hope so. That's maybe. And there, there's no true godly and righteous character in that. So it's not just faith. It is also character. It, it all goes together. Yes, we are the righteousness of God in Christ, and we are to live as if we are the righteousness of God in Christ. There are believers, and they're not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. As John would say in 1 John, they walk in darkness, not the light. And John says in 1 John that if we claim to be in the light, yet walk in darkness, we're deceived, and there is no truth in us. And of course, of course, tell your neighbor, smile and say, of course. Tell your other neighbor, smile and say, of course. That God cannot bless that. Us claiming to be in the light while we are simultaneously walking in darkness. God cannot bless that kind of life. Now, now why? Big picture, why does Satan lead people to that place? Because he knows they'll be defeated. He knows they'll be frustrated. He knows they won't receive from God. And he knows that if he can bring them to that place, maybe he can get them to be disappointed in God or blame God or walk away from God. When believers don't walk in the light, or maybe when they open the door to sin or disobedience, their heart condemns them. They then have trouble praying in faith and getting answers because their heart condemns them. Look over at 1 John 3 and verse 21. 1 John 3, beginning in verse 21. 
Dear friends, if, say if, our hearts do not condemn us. We have confidence before God. So what Satan is all about, he is about lying and stealing and killing and destroying. He, he's about deceiving believers. He wants people to be disappointed in God. He wants people to give up on God. And so he's all about leading people to this place, to the place where their hearts condemn them. And this is why how we live as believers matters. Yes, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, this is a free gift that is given to us. We're about to get to that. But we are also to live as if we really are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Why is that so important? So our hearts don't condemn us. Because see, when you're opening doors, you shouldn't be opening. And doing things you shouldn't be doing, will God forgive you? Yes. Is there grace and mercy? Yes. But then there's Satan right there whispering in your ear, reminding you of what you did, reminding you of your disobedience, reminding you of the door being open. And see, the problem is your heart condemns you. And look at what John says. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands. And we do. Say do what pleases him. So it's not either or. It's not faith at the exclusion of everything else. It's not grace at the exclusion of everything else. We receive any good thing from God by faith, and that is grace. But are we to obey God? Yes. Are we to live a life that pleases God? Yes. And why is all of the above important? So that when you go to our Heavenly Father in prayer, your heart doesn't condemn you. And you can pray in faith with confidence knowing he hears you and he answers you and that you have what you have asked of him. The Bible tells us that Satan is the accuser. He is the accuser of the brethren and the sisters too. But praise God. We also find out in Hebrews that Jesus is our advocate. He is our defense. He is our intercessor. So praise God, as Hebrews says, Jesus, he ever liveth to make intercession for us on our behalf. But see, what again, what does Satan want believers to do? He, he, he doesn't want them to live the life. He doesn't want them to live a life that is pure and holy and set apart before God. He wants to be able to condemn them. He wants their hearts condemned when they go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. He, he, he doesn't want them to obey. He doesn't want them to do what's right. He wants them to disobey. He wants them to open doors. Why? So he has ammo with which to accuse them of. And so there's a need. There's a situation. And a believer goes to our Heavenly Father to ask, to make a request, to ask for God's intervention. And there is Satan, the accuser, the accuser of the brethren. And he's reminding them of all the things that they've done. He's reminding them of all the areas in their lives in which they haven't taken action. I'm a good believer in preventative maintenance. Don't give the enemy any ammo to accuse you with. Now, we're, we're going to get to something that's real important, and that's the basis on which we receive anything from God. But again, it's not either or. It's all of the above. We receive from God by faith. It is grace. It is a gift from God. But that does not mean that we are not to live a life that is holy and pure and righteous before God. That does not mean that we're not to obey God and do what pleases him. It is a total package deal. And when you live for God, 
with all your heart and soul and mind, that is the kind of life that our Heavenly Father can bless. And again, big picture, why is this so important? So that when, like John tells us in 1 John 3, when you go before our Heavenly Father to pray or to present a request, your heart does not condemn you. Because if we're honest, even when you're living right, doing what's right, there are even times when you're living right, doing what's right, there, there are times you have trouble praying. There are times you have trouble believing God because when you go to God in prayer, when you go to our Heavenly Father in prayer, Satan's reminding you of this. Satan's reminding you of that. He is uh, mean. He is mean. He is dirty. We've all sinned. Paul writes in Romans, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We, we've all made mistakes. Amen. Uh, some, some people need to repent of lying after this service is over. You know, uh, as, a, as a father of five, yeah, we got little ones, amen. I have been greatly humbled many, many times. I am fully aware that I am not perfect, amen. So we've made mistakes, we've messed up, but if we've confessed it and repented of it, it is under the blood of Jesus. So we're to pray in faith with confidence, knowing our Heavenly Father, He hears us and He answers us. 1 John 5, beginning in verse 14, this is the confidence. Say confidence. We have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that He hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have. Say, I have it. We have what we have asked of Him. Say, say praise God. My Heavenly Father, He hears me. And he answers me. Now, as we go forward, I, I want you to see something. It'll help you. He answers us on the basis of his son. When I go to my heavenly father and I present a petition or a request, he does not answer Austin on the basis of Austin's perfection. He answers Austin on the basis of Jesus' perfection. And you need to understand this and remind yourself of this because, again, Satan's mean, and he, he's a liar. And he wants to bring us to this place where you, when you go to your heavenly Father, you know, you're praying, you're praying in faith, you're doing your absolute best, but he's reminding you of all the ways in which you're not perfect. Well, he doesn't hear us and answer us based on my perfection or on your perfection. He hears us and he answers us based on Jesus' perfection. Say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Say it again. Say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So in Christ, because of his work on our behalf, our righteousness is a gift from God. And it comes to us by faith, not by works. It is by faith. It is not by works. And it is a gift. Say, it's a gift. It's a gift. Say, it's a gift. it's a gift. Say, I'm not trying to earn it. I'm not trying to deserve it. See, there, there's nothing you or I could do to make ourselves worthy enough of the gift. It's a gift. And it has been given to us. All we have to do is believe it and receive it by faith and then walk in it. We, we don't receive from God on the basis of our being perfect. 
If we receive from God on the basis of our being perfect, none of us could ever be born again. We receive from God on the basis of Christ's perfection and what he did on our behalf. Our righteousness is a gift. Say, it's a gift from God that comes to us by faith and not by works. Look at Romans 5 and verse 17. Paul writes, for by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive? So you got to receive it. Say, I have to receive it. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness? So it's a gift. Tell your neighbor, smile, say, it's a gift. Tell, tell your other neighbor, smile, say, it's a gift. And it, it's not what, our Heavenly Father is not an Indian giver. You know, there, there are people, they give you a gift, you don't want it. Because that gift comes with strings. And then they'll be texting you and calling you, amen. You know what I'm talking about. It's a gift. And it's a real gift. The gift of righteousness. How much more will those who receive? So we got to receive it. And see, our trouble is because of religion and religious things and religious songs. To us, it seems too good to be true. You know, I know sometimes I'm hard on Christian radio. But, you know, the illustrations just keep coming. And, you know, you turn on Christian radio, and it's, you know, I'm a worm, I'm this, I'm that. There, there was a song the other day, I, I was just trying to keep the music going while one of the children was asleep. You know, and it was all about stumbling and messing up this and messing up that. Man, you're going to be discouraged and blue listening to all that. So our challenge is we, we feel, we feel, and again, we're to walk by faith, not by our senses, but what we feel as if we're not good enough. We feel as if we're not worthy enough. But again, how much more will those who receive? See, we got to receive what our Heavenly Father has done for us. We got to receive what Jesus Christ has done for us. How much more will those who receive? So we got to receive it. God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift. Say, it's a gift and of the gift of righteous reign in life. So see, we're, we're to reign in life. We're to reign over the enemy. We're, we're to reign over every circumstance, every situation. We are to have the victory. But see, Satan wants us feeling as if we're not good enough, we're not worthy enough, we're not perfect enough. And even though you, you, you woke up and you prayed, and even though you did a good job, perfect job in the morning, you lost your temper on the way to work. So you're no longer good enough or worthy enough or qualified enough. But it's not on the basis of that. It's on the basis of what Jesus did on our behalf. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteous reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? His righteousness is a gift. It is not something we earn. It is a gift. It is given to us. It is credited to us. Say, I am, I am. the righteousness of God in Christ. Say, say, I am to rule, and I am to reign in life, in Christ, over every circumstance, over the enemy. Look at Romans 3 and verse 22. This righteousness from God comes through faith. How does it come? I know it comes by doing these 35 things. I know it comes if you can just do enough of this. And if you can just do enough, how does it come? 
It comes through faith. It comes by faith in Jesus Christ. To how many who believe? To all who believe. And yet, it sounds too good to be true. But that's why we call it the good news. It is good news. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for so that in him we might become the righteous of God. So through faith, we have been made righteous. We have been made righteous through faith in Christ Jesus. And righteousness, his righteousness, it is available to all who believe. Abraham, the father of our faith, he was declared righteous by faith. And if you go back and you read about Abraham, Abraham was not perfect. Abraham made mistakes. Now, now, don't misuse that to say, well, man, Abraham was blessed and he did this and he did that, so I'm going to go out this week and do this or do that. No, 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 no. That, that's the wrong road to head down. Let the way in which it encourages you be this, that Abraham, despite his mistakes, despite his shortcomings, despite his imperfections, he believed God. And so he was blessed by God. He believed God. And so he was blessed by God. Consider Abraham. Galatians 3 and verse 6. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You know, one day I went through the bank earlier this year and had a, had a deposit. And the, the young guy, the teller, God bless young people. Amen. He added an extra zero. <laughs> and the deposit slip came back. And I thought, glory to God. But you know, he, you know, he, I, I looked, you know, and it, it it took him a second. He goes, wait a second. I think I made a mistake. Yes. Yes, you did. But say he had not caught that. And say I was not a Christian person. Because again, if you're a Christian person, you got to be honest. Amen. Yes. Yeah, this is one of those elementary basics of the Christian life. But say they, they let me know, Austin, this has been credited to your account. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I didn't work for it. It was credited to me. His righteousness has been credited to us. Look at Romans 4, beginning in verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Abraham is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became. He, he was an old man. He, he became a father at the age of 100. He was an old man yet he believed God. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. So, so faith doesn't deny the circumstances. Faith believes God in spite of the circumstances. Faith chooses to believe God in the midst of the circumstances. Romans 4.20, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded. Say, fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. Being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited. It was credited. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. God didn't say to him, Abraham, because you've always been perfect and you've never made a mistake and you've never done anything wrong, you've never done anything your way. No. It was credited. Say it was credited. And think of all 
that God, our Heavenly Father, has credited to us through Christ, and we haven't walked in it because we don't know about it, or we haven't walked in it because all the while Satan's been whispering in our ear, well, yes, he did that for you, but you're, you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, you're not perfect enough. It's been credited to us, and it's ours. It was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us. Say, say it's for me. Say, it's for my family. Say, it's for my children. But also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who do these 35 things. Is that what it says? For us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. To us who believe. Say, it is credited to me because I believe. Say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, as I pointed out, yes, righteousness, it is a gift that has been given to us. Yes, it is credited to us. But what is the difference between knowing that and living a life of victory? You have to actually live as if you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You got to live the life. Smile at your neighbor and say, you got to live the life. Smile at your other neighbor and say, you got to live the life. See, the, the life that God blesses, it is somebody who not only knows they're the righteous of God in Christ, they're, they're living it out, they're living by faith. They believe God, and how do you know they believe God? Because they're living it out. They're not, they're, that's beyond just knowing you're the righteous of God in Christ, it is living it out. We are the righteousness of God in Christ, but you got to live as if you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Look at Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 12. But when this priest referring to our Lord and Savior Jesus, when he had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever. Say forever. He is made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. Now, have eyes to see this in your Bible. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We have been made perfect forever. That is our justification. That is our salvation. That is our righteousness in Christ. But notice we are being made holy. That is continuous, ongoing action. That is our sanctification. And again, why are the believers... And they, they love Jesus, they're born again, they go to church occasionally, but they just don't live a life of victory because they're justified, but they're not living a sanctified life. It is a total package deal. We are the righteousness of God in Christ, and we are to live as if we are the righteousness of God in Christ. We're to live an obedient life, we're to live a life that pleases God, we're to obey the commands of God, we're to take action on the word of God. It is a total package deal. But you got to understand that we're made righteous on the basis of what Jesus did on our behalf. And Satan's mean. He's a liar. And the place he wants to lead you to is a place where you feel like you're not qualified, you're not perfect enough, but that's not the basis on which we receive from God. Turn over to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And Paul gives a great illustration of this. 
Galatians 3, beginning in verse 1. You foolish Galatians who has bewitched you. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? So how do we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Is it by works or by faith? How are we saved? Is it by works or by faith? It's by faith. And Paul wrote to the church at Galatia to encourage them to get back on the right road because there were Jewish believers telling the Gentile believers that in order to be in right standing with God, they had to practice the law and all of the law, including the festivals and dietary restrictions. They had to be doers of the law. And so Paul wrote to the church at Galatia reminding them that they everything that they had, every good thing from God, they received how? By faith. Are we to pray? Yes. Are we to study? Yes. Are we to spend time in the Word? Yes. But you have to live a life of balance and understand that the basis from which we receive from our Heavenly Father, it is on the basis of faith. And you can't come to the place in your heart or in your thinking where Satan brings you to a place of condemnation where you don't feel good enough or you don't feel worthy enough or you don't feel qualified enough because even though you prayed on Monday and you prayed on Tuesday, you were running behind on Wednesday and you didn't have your prayer time. So therefore, you are not qualified to receive. See, Satan's a liar. Satan's a deceiver. How do we receive from our Heavenly Father? By faith. How do we receive any good thing from God? By faith. To give an illustration, to give an example, Jesus told the disciples to wait until they were clothed with power from on high. And so they waited. They, as Pentecostals would say, they, they tarried until the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. In Pentecostalism, there's a tradition of tarrying, waiting on the Holy Spirit. And sometimes when you read Pentecostal literature, people talk about I've been waiting, tearing for the Holy Spirit, seven days, 14 days, 21 days, 28 days, three months, three years, 30 years. But after Acts 2, there's not a single example in the book of Acts of anybody tearing or waiting on the Holy Spirit. After that moment, everyone received instantly. And as Paul reminded the church at Galatia, how do we receive? I know if you can just pray enough hours this week, I know if you can just read your Bible enough hours this week. Is that how we receive? No, we receive by faith. Now, is it important to spend time in prayer? Yes. Is it important to study the Word of God? Yes. And if you pray and study the Word of God and a doer of the Word of God, are you going to be better off than a believer who doesn't? Yes. But how do we receive? We receive by faith. And that's why occasionally we got to remind ourselves of these basics and these fundamentals. So even though we know all of this, Satan doesn't have us in a place of defeat and condemnation because we've forgotten the basics and we've forgotten who we are in Christ and we've forgotten the basis on which we receive from God. Say, I am, I am. the righteous of God, righteous of God. in Christ. Christ. 
Say, I'm born again. Say, I am qualified to receive every good thing of God. Every blessing, every benefit on the basis of what Jesus did for me. On the basis of his work. So we're born again by faith. We receive the Spirit of God by faith. Abraham walked in the blessing of God. How? By faith. How do we receive our healing? But see, Satan wants to bring believers that, that love the Lord to, to a place where their, their hearts condemn them, to a, to a place where he, he's reminding them of this or reminding them of that, or he brings them to this place of religion where even though they know what the Word says, they, they, they don't they don't believe, they don't believe that they're qualified to receive what God wants them to receive. That they're not good enough, that they're not worthy enough, that they've not done enough of this or enough of that. That is not the basis on which we receive from God. We receive from God by faith. Remember a Sunday praying with people to receive the Holy Spirit? And there was a young man who struggled, and I knew he was struggling because he felt like he was not good enough, he was not worthy enough to receive the Holy Spirit. That's not the basis on which we receive. We, we don't receive on the basis of our perfection. We receive on the basis of Jesus' perfection. And that means you're qualified. That means I'm qualified. That means you and I are qualified to receive right now from our Heavenly Father any good thing that he has for us. Salvation, healing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, his blessing. The first thing we must confess is who we are in Christ. And the last thing that is a part of who we are in Christ, and it, it comes last, but it's one of the most important. It is that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Say, I am, I am. the righteousness of God, righteousness of God. In, Christ Jesus. in Christ Jesus. Now next Sunday, we're going to get to the second thing we must confess, and that is where we are in Christ. Where we are in Christ. And you'll learn next Sunday that you have been crucified with Christ. You didn't do the work, but our Heavenly Father, He sees you as identified with Christ. So you got to see yourself the way our Heavenly Father sees you. Amen? Thank you for listening to this life-changing message. To partner with us and to help us reach more people with the good news of the gospel, visit our website at faithchristiancenter.com. Your financial support is enabling us to reach more people than ever before. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. If you prayed that simple prayer, you are born again and today is a new beginning. We would like to send you a copy of Dr. Jean Lingerfeld's book, God's Very Own Child. To receive your free copy, call the church office at 817-561-3400 or send an email to info at faithchristiancenter.com. Remember to put God first in every area of your life because he loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. And don't forget, we walk by faith, not by sight.